What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. 37 phases and counting. Here's Kalahar. Strong shoulders on him. Over the top, Sam Whitelock. Over the top, Sam Whitelock. Sam Whitelock, you are magnificent. Sam Whitelock has forced a penalty and the game will be over. Sam Whitelock's career will go on. Yes, yes, the All Blacks beating Ireland in an absolute thriller, a game no one is ever going to forget, a quarterfinal, uh, which was going to be hard to surpass, although France and South Africa gave it a heck of a good shake this morning, a one-point win to South Africa by 29 points to 28. Our rugby cup has run over this weekend. Domestically, we've had, uh, you know, semi-finals and finals. The Coast, West Coast winning a trophy the first time in over 100 years. Amazing, and there's no better man to speak about all of these things from Sky Sport. A dear friend, Mr Ken Laban, how are you, mate? Very good, thanks, mate. Nice to be on your show. Wow. Ken, did you get any sleep over the weekend? Um, how's the energy levels? Because that, 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 you know, whether we're working or watching as a fan, um, emotions have been sapped. Yes, well, it's been a slow morning for a lot of people, hasn't it, today, including myself. Um, having watched um, a weekend of um, footy and, and obviously all the dramatic um, results coming out of the quarterfinals on um, on the weekend, um, and I suppose that you know we'll be starting to say things about um, France and Ireland that people used to say about New Zealand in the past, and that they're very good teams, but just not at the World Cup. And um, for um, for both of those for both of those teams in that South African game uh, this morning was pretty special as well. And I like the All Black and Ireland game. Um, you'd have to say the team that went into the match as favourites um, came away defeated. Uh, but you know, just listening to your call at the end of the um, of the Irish game and Sam Whitelock, and that was a controversial decision um, as well that he didn't start his 151st um, test and um, and a memorable turnover um, at the end of the game. But you know, Geordie Barrett probably his best game. Um, in the number 12 jersey. Who would have thought that Ethan De Groot um, coming back from, some, from suspension and Tyrell Lomax, who hasn't been able to play more than about 15 minutes in the last couple of tests um, that he's played in, would end up putting in um, what they did for the best part of an hour. And then, um, which I thought was another risky um, selection as well, is that they went for uh, Fletcher Newell, um, and for Tamaiti Williams, two of the youngest front rowers that are in that group to come from the bench, and they came in and closed it out. So lots of talking points. Um, Daniel from a New Zealand um, the perspective. Uh, obviously, it was a game that could have gone um, either way, and, and like everybody else that's been watching sport a long time, we all know now that if you can get to the last four, you can win it. Um, and what that, what that says about Ian Foster, who's already been sacked regardless of what, um, of what happens, but you know, I've got New Zealand now. It's, I've got the All Blacks as favourites to win it now. Let's uh, just talk about this France South Africa game in a little bit more detail. Of of France and Ireland, I think France have more to regret. 
I, th- I think they've made more errors here. I think they've caused more self-harm to themselves than Ireland did against the All Blacks. Um, you've just got to admire South Africa's resolve uh, and their ability to stay in a fight, Ken. Like on, on another day, they could have been down by 20, 30 points. Such was the, the sharpness, the athleticism, the pace France showed against them. But France's inability to deal with high kicks, handling, and they ran out of ideas, didn't they, in the face of that staunch South African belief? Exactly. And the other point, too, that's worth noting is that when South Africa opted to take the quick tap, and it wasn't a quick tap, it was just a tap. Yeah. Uh, remember, they could have taken the easy three points or they could have kicked. Uh, they could have kicked for the line-out, which was a traditional thing um, to do. And that, more than anything else, I think was a very strong indicator of the difference between uh, between the two teams. There are not many teams in world sport that would have, op- that would have opted to do that. There would have been not many players would have opted, you know, they would have gone for either the easy three and get the ball back from the kickoff, as Carl Tanana was alluding to um, in the commentary. I don't know what was said on um, on the radio call, uh, mate, but I thought that was a huge difference um, in, in mentality and confidence um, as well, because there's only a couple of other teams in world rugby in that circumstance would have done that. One would have been Fiji, um, two. Uh, two All Blacks, and um, and I, to be honest, I was shocked that um, a traditionally conservative uh, alpha male type culture that exists in the South African um, camp that had opted to do that, which just shows um, the flair, the confidence, um, and the belief that they have in themselves. And obviously, a couple couple of rucks later, they were they were into the semi final. So I, I thought, for a whole host of reasons, it was a magnificent contest. It really was. It really was. Um, you know, South Africa's missed 42 tackles and still won. So uh, please, no one in the breakdown come out and say something, oh, that's as good as South Africa can play, please. Cause South Africa does know what to do at this time of the tournament. Um, here's an unfair yeah, well, question. I do, I do think, I do think mate, when so, you start sorry, talking about defence, when you start talking about defence and, um, and tackles, they don't, they don't dish out trophies for how many tackles you made or how many tackles you missed. They dish out trophies for how many points you scored. Um, yeah. And the difference, but then, and then at the end of the day, who cares? Um, it's not how long you have the ball, it's what you do with it when you've got it. And South Africa, they knew that they weren't going to get another opportunity be, to be that close and that this was their chance. You know, so they, they they did, mate. They rolled the dice. I thought it was a great decision. Um, and so often we've seen in sport that they make a decision like that and it doesn't come off. So, you know, you have, you've got those ning-nongs that'll be reflecting on 42 missed tackles and then you've got South Africa getting ready for the semi-final. Which group do you want to be in? Well, I'm a ning-nong because I did reflect on that, but I also did say uh, South Africa had been feeding off scraps and it was such a brave call after 65 minutes. And I think you've articulated it oh so well. that They just knew this is our chance. And then conversely, you could probably argue when France have that penalty attempt, is that their best moment to kick to the corner? They didn't gamble, did they? No, they didn't. Plus, you kick to the corner, you run time off the clock. You've got to set the line out. You can walk to the line out. You can do all sorts of damage um, in a situation like that before you put the play on. Um, and also, they only needed one winning play to get it done. Yeah, no, it was a very interesting decision. Very interesting. One that they regret, the obviously. All, yeah. The, the Irish and the All Blacks. How shall we now reflect on Ireland? They have been 
unbeaten for 17 straight tests, were the number one side of the world. But ultimately, they have lost at another quarter final. Um, how should we view and judge Ireland? Well, as I kind of, I might have sarcastically alluded to before, they have been they have been great in every contest they play, and except at World Cups, and you could level the same criticism um, at France. You have to have that ability yep. at the end of pool play to play three consecutive finals, um, not just one, not just be good now and again with the odd hard game they get in the Six Nations. At the conclusion of the round robin. You have to play three consecutive grand finals. That's always been the formula um, to win it because there's only the big dogs that are left. And uh, the All Blacks have proven, and South Africa um, have proven in recent World Cups that they uh, that they can do it. And it is tough for the Northern Hemisphere. We can talk about stats and talk about history. What is it? One Northern Hemisphere team in nine World Cups um, has been able has only been able to win it. Has been all the other World Cups have been won by Southern Hemisphere. Teams, I did have a huge doubt. My big question mark for the All Blacks is that I think the Super Rugby competition now is so inferior to what it used to be like that they're coming out, in my view, of not the best competition um, in the world. And I always thought that would be a barrier for Argentina, um, for Australia and um, and the All Blacks. I said, well, that's been proven, given that Argentina and the All Blacks are through to the last four. That's been proven to be a bit of a myth as well. Yeah, indeed. Um, without running the risk of antagonising the rugby gods, um, are Argentina and England just making up the numbers in the semi-finals? Do, do, you know, what semblance of a chance do they have? Uh, they have a big chance. I'm, I'm of the view if you can get to the last four, you can win it. Um, and I would think that by the time you get through the through the quarterfinal to the quarterfinal stages, all those um, um, all those predictions all those predictions go out the window. Um, England, England have had some close test matches. They've been involved in some tough contests. It was a very, very tough one this morning um, against the Fiji team that had absolutely nothing um, to lose. There's no way in the world am I riding England or Argentina off. No, indeed. What next for Fiji? For a start, we should stop calling them Tier 2 and we should start treating them like a Tier 1 nation, I would think. Well, how serious are we, mate? We have a lot of debates about the importance of promoting and progressing rugby in the Pacific. And remember, then they increased three, you know, then they in, increased the Tri Nations to the to the um, to the championship, and they didn't. They could have added Fiji or Samoa, but they didn't. They instead added, added Argentina. Um, the only the best thing that, that we can do for Tier Two nations like Samoa and Fiji is give them more games against Tier One nations, give them better access to their um, the players that they can select, and um, and make sure from a financial point of view and sponsorship point of view that they can compete. It's incredible what Fiji. Let's remember that Fiji's population of only nine hundred thousand up against England population fifty five million. The difference in resources, the difference in money, sponsorship, revenue, player payment competition, um, facilities are, um, you know, well, Fiji's almost third world um, by comparison. And yet they're, um, they, you know, they find a way to be competitive. They find a way to keep, you know, the, the reputation of rugby in the Pacific and the image of rip, you know, at a very, very high level. The best thing that we can do is expand the Four Nations Championship to um, six or even seven nations and talk seriously about Japan Fiji and Samoa joining the elite competitions. Yeah, I'd go eight and have two pools of four, even if you want. You can split hairs over how yes. it's structured, but I think there's a lot of sense in it, Ken. I think there's a lot of sense in it. 
um, and let's see uh, what happens, mate. Because I, I, I detect yeah, well, Tonga, Tonga a lot in the last few team. months. Yeah, Tonga would be the eighth team uh, once you, you've thrown uh, Japan in there as well. I, I detect, having listened to you, spoken to you a lot over the years, Ken, you're just sort of at your wit's end about, you know, the, are the power brokers actually going to make the right decisions? Um, you know, the, time, the jury's out on that. Time's only going to tell. Hey, domestically, Ken, um, if this was 1999, I could say this is really good for Hurricanes rugby that the Hawks Bay and Taranaki are in the final, right? There you go. There's a good Wellington perspective. What happened there, mate? What, what's happened to the Lions? Well, I think it... Well, well. Firstly, I think it's fantastic that Hawks have got the shield. Uh, um, I called the game in Otago a couple of years ago when they won it. Uh, took it off Otago. Um, uh, I called the game when they lost it to um, to Wellington last year, and uh, and I called the game when they won it back um, this year as well. So I feel a close association with the highs and lows of Hawks Bay. Also, let me point out that Hawks Bay and Taranaki. It probably had the two biggest crowds for um, for home games for yes. in the NPC in 2023. They have been uh, well supported. They both play a great brand of footy. I love the fact that they still play in their tradition. I'm a little bit of a old fashioned kind of guy as well. I love the fact that they haven't changed their changed their jerseys. They're still playing their traditional strips. I think it's going to be a magnificent uh, magnificent game. Um, Neil Barnes is a pretty special guy. Um, as well, head coach of Taranaki, very, very experienced uh, coach. They play a great brand of um, play play a great brand of footy, and it's going to be a great occasion. So uh, all the best to both teams. Um, but I, I I couldn't be more thrilled. And as you know, uh, Daniel, you and I we've seen a lot of NPC over the years, um, and having Hawks Bay and Taranaki play in the final for this year's Bunnings NPC, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, and I think it's going to be an absolute beaut. It's one of those games that could literally go both ways. Uh, you can make really strong cases for both teams. Uh, and how, how, how long do you think the party was on the West Coast this weekend, Ken? And do you, do you regret not being down there? Too? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, was, I, I, went to, I went to Tamuka. I should have gone, I should have gone to Greymouth with Matt Cooper, with the vice president of New Zealand rugby, tried to get me to jump in the car with him after, um, after the South Canterbury. <laughs> um, but yeah, isn't that fantastic? You know, the, you know, well, you talk about Tier 2 and we talk about Heartlands and we've got a bit of a Heartlands program, I think, um, coming up in a couple of weeks' time as well with two games uh, locally. I spoke to Nigel Walsh on Saturday, but that's fantastic for the West Coast. Congratulations to, um, to the organisation, all the supporters. Um, on the West Coast for a, a thrilling way to win the season. It's been a great, it's been a wonderful NPC and Heartlands Championship as well because you know you chuck in the memories um, and images that Nati East Coast um, have given us of their performances both before the game and during the game um, as well. So it's been an amazing year for the NPC. Good on you, Ken. Appreciate your time, mate. Really do love the passion. We'll catch up soon. I hope. No worries, mate. Always a pleasure.